Turn in your copy of the scriptures, if you would please, to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. I had a, a kind of funny phone conversation yesterday with someone who said, I hear you're preaching tomorrow. Are we finally getting out of Romans 7? I've loved Romans 7. I've really enjoyed it. We've discussed it in a small group. It's really changed my life. Are we getting out? Are we still in Romans 7? Or are we going to Romans 8? Where, where are we at? And I had the joy of telling them, I'm actually taking you back to Romans 1. And they hung up on me. No, I'm kidding. They, didn't, they did not hung up on me. That's a joke. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 and following. This is actually a section of Romans that we never covered. When we started a Roman series, we did not cover these first seven verses, this greeting of sorts that Paul has for his letter to the church at Rome. We're going to spend a little bit of time there today, just to say we did, and to keep it on our Roman series. So let's read together Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you are also called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading and the preaching and the hearing of your holy word on this particular day. Lord, we are thankful to be called among those who are the beloved of God. We are thankful for the grace and the peace that we have received through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So before we ask you for anything on this day, we pause now to say thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for unmerited favor. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us a love for you. And now, Lord, because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because we have a mediator, we come unashamed before you, boldly approaching your throne in this our time of need, saying, we need you. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to act in a special way at this time as we seek to open your word and hear from you. Would you bless us with that for your name's sake? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why is the resurrection such a big deal? That's the question I hope to answer for you, at least in part today, from God's Word. And the reason we look back at this greeting, the reason we look back at the first seven verses of the book of Romans, when all the way back, seven chapters, to take a look at this, is specifically found in verse 4. So as Paul is basically establishing who he is, as he's opening up this letter, as he's not necessarily reading his resume, but reading the resume of the Lord, right? What the Lord has done in his life. He calls himself a slave to Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Then in verse 4 he says, of Jesus, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. By the resurrection from the dead. Why is the resurrection such a big deal? Why does Paul choose to reference that part of Jesus' earthly ministry when he is opening up his letter? When there's any one of a number of things that Paul could have done to get my attention as I'm reading this letter. 37. 
If you read through your New Testament, that's how many miraculous works are attributed to Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. We have 37 accounts of Jesus doing something that far surpasses all known human or natural powers. 37 accounts of Jesus doing something that couldn't be explained in any way, shape, or form. And then, in addition to those 37 accounts... At the end of John's Gospel, chapter 21 and verse 25, we're told there are many other things that Jesus did in which if they were written out one by one, that even the world itself could not contain the books that they would be written. Suffice it to say, there are plenty of things, plenty of things, for Paul to choose to reference as he's opening up his letter to the the church at Rome. Why does he choose the resurrection? Nowadays, we tend to use the word Miracle, fairly flippantly. Uh, Something wonderful happens in our lives that we didn't see coming. And it's not uncommon for someone to say with with great thankfulness and and with the best of intentions, this this is a, I mean, this is a miracle. I never would have thought I would have gotten that job. I can't believe this worked out. I can't believe that we actually are together. I can't believe, I can't believe it's it's a miracle. When oftentimes what what we really mean is we didn't see it coming and we're grateful. Miracle is, is a pretty weighty word. I mean, we pray for something that we can't see happening because the odds are stacked against it, right? And that's what we're supposed to do. We're Christians. We're supposed to take these requests before God, not be anxious about them, and know that nothing is impossible with God. Amen? We do that. We come before the Lord. We lay our requests at his feet, and we say, Oh, Lord, if you would do this, would you do this? Would you do that? Asking him to answer these things according to his own will. In our finite minds, in our view, circumstances are what they are, and we can't see it happening. So as far as we can tell, it's just not in the cards. But we pray anyway. And all of a sudden, circumstances change, and we're grateful for the Lord bringing about what we were praying for. Sometimes God answers those prayers in the affirmative, grants us what we were requesting, and we look at that, and we're grateful, and we say, this is, this is a miracle. I mean, it's, 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 it's a miracle, It might be a miracle, um, but oftentimes it's God hearing our prayers, granting our requests, and changing the circumstances to come about in a way that we could never see happening. Did God do it? Yes. Does God get the glory? Yes. I I mean, did it come about as a result of his good work in our lives? Absolutely. Is it a miracle? Not if it can be explained. Is that fair? When we say, all of a sudden, I had no idea. I didn't have the credentials for this job, but I applied anyway because I just thought, oh, you know, who, who knows? Maybe it'll happen. And then the person looked at me and, and, and decided they looked upon my resume and they said, even though I don't have all the credentials, they wanted to give me a shot. We can explain that. The person looked at the resume and said, even though they don't have the credentials, want to give them a shot. Is it a work of God? Yes. Is it a miracle? Eh. 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 Not, not a miracle. That's not me saying don't be thankful for it. D- does this make sense? That's not saying don't give God the glory for it. Miracle is, is a, it's, just a, it's just a weighty word. Jesus being born of a virgin. Miracle. Miracle. You say, I can explain that. God. It was God. It was a miracle. There's no way to explain that. Cleansing of the ten lepers. Miracle. Healing of a paralytic. Miracle. Jesus walking on water. Miracle. When Jesus did these things, nobody stood around and said... Buddy of mine did that once. Like, like nobody did that. That never happened. Never. Jesus walking on the water and saying, I kind of know how that happened. That, that never happened. Ever. 
People stood there with their, their, their jaws just dropped to the floor watching what Jesus was doing that could only be, only be attributed to the fact that he was and is the Son of God. Blind folks see, deaf folks hear, fish spit money, five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people are fed until they can't fill themselves anymore and then the doggy bags are given out. Malchus gets his ear cut off by Peter. Jesus then reaches up and touches it and restores his ear. Had to be the most intense 12 seconds of Malchus's life. Do you agree? <laughs> Re- you know, whoosh, ha, my ear! Jesus reaches out, touches it. Ha, my ear! <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Miracle. Miracle, miracle, miracle. We read about them in the pages of Scripture. We take great joy as we read about the the accounts of what Jesus did in the lives of of his people as he walked this earth. We don't celebrate all of them. We love the truth they remind us of about Jesus' deity, his power, his compassion. But we don't have like a walk on water Wednesday on our calendars celebrating Christ's miraculous buoyancy. We, 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 We just don't... We don't do that. We don't look back on what Jesus did for Malchus's ear and close our places of work for New Year's Day or something like that. <laughs> I was pretty excited when I found that. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was really looking forward to saying that. But it just doesn't happen. It's a really big deal. Just not as big a deal as the resurrection. What is the big deal when it comes to the resurrection? You say, well, maybe it's the fact that this is, I mean, no ear, ear, walking on water. Those are all amazing. This is death to life. That's a big deal. Death to life. It is a big deal. Not unique to, to Christ, right? Others have been raised from the dead throughout the scriptures. Jesus looked at Jairus' dead daughter and told the little girl to get up. Literally, rise, little girl. And you know what? She did. In Luke 7, a widow's son is being carried out in an open casket. Now, show of hands, you've, you've been to a viewing, open casket. Okay. Now, I don't know if, this, if you've ever seen this. Perhaps you've done this. Um, Sometimes people, as they approach the deceased, um, they'll stand there, they'll look. Do you ever, some people will touch as they walk away. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've done that or you've seen other people do that. That's what Jesus did. But then they sat up. <laughs> sat up. In John 11, Lazarus has been dead and in the tomb... Four days, okay, died, whatever their funeral services were at the time, buried four days, dead and buried. Jesus gets to the scene, tells people to take the stone away from the entrance, after which he prays and calls Lazarus out. And you know what happens? Lazarus comes walking out. Why doesn't Paul reference these miracles in his opening remarks in his letter to the Romans? 
would have gotten my attention. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, who healed lepers, fed thousands, gave sight to the blind, and an ear back to Malchus, and raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, that, oh, that, that would have gotten my attention. Why is the resurrection such a big deal? So it's not that it's a miracle. We have those elsewhere in Scripture. But we don't celebrate those nearly the same. It's, it's not the fact that someone has risen from the dead, because quite frankly, we have that elsewhere in Scripture. But we don't celebrate those at all. A little side note, there is a little bit of a difference. You've got to remember, Lazarus died again. Right? What was that like? Lazarus died. I know, I know. And then he rose. No, dude, he, like, no, he died again. What was that like? Two funerals. Was it well attended? I mean, I, I, have, I have questions about these things. But you see the difference. Jairus' daughter died, raised to life, and then eventually died, right? Widow's son died, carried out in an open casket. Jesus touched the dead body. He's raised to life. And then he died again. Lazarus died, dead, buried, four days. Lazarus come forth, he comes walking out, and they buried him again at some point in his life. Jesus died, was buried, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's never going to die, and he's coming back. Praise his name. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a really, really big deal. But there's always been confusion about it. People don't really know how to, how to handle it. But that's true about death in general, right? I mean, we don't really know how to handle death apart from the scriptures. Uh, certainly, uh, people who are unsaved don't really know how to, how, to handle, how to handle death. I recently received a text message from um, a former student of mine reminding me that on the day that he sent that text message, two years ago, we were on a trip together, a service trip with a bunch of students to New York City. We had a, a great time. I remember at that, while on that trip, walking to the subway with, a group, with our group on the corner of 72nd Street and Central Park West when I quickly said, ooh, let's go in here. And uh, we walked into Central Park to an area that's called Strawberry Fields. And it's across the street from the Dakota building where uh, John Lennon was shot dead in December of 1980. And there's a stone mosaic in the ground. It's really quite pretty. And it says... Imagine. Imagine. And there's always, always, it was, it was raining when we went, always people there, standing there, putting flowers there, lighting candles, singing songs, sitting there doing this, whatever that means, meditating, crying. 44 years, crying. Meditating kind of strange. It's a pretty park. It's a nice part of the city. It's kind of strange. People have all sorts of beliefs about death and the afterlife. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul faced this uh, issue as he wrote to the church of Corinth, realizing that they were having at least a little bit of trouble understanding death 
and the afterlife, particularly as it pertains to the resurrection from the grave. Look at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Uh, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God uh, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. By and large, the church at Corinth believed in Christ's resurrection. And as we'll soon see, you can't be a Christian and deny it. It just doesn't work that way. However, verse 12, there are some among them, right? Some among them who were at least confused when it came to their understanding of the resurrection of the dead, including but not limited to Christ's resurrection. We're not told specifically why, but we can surmise that it has to do with a a common thread that ran through much of ancient Greek philosophy known as dualism. Now, dualism considered everything, just to kind of bottom line and, and simplify it, dualism considered, uh, taught that everything that was spiritual would be intrinsically good and everything physical to be intrinsically evil. If spiritual, then good. If physical, then evil. So having said that, you can understand why um, The thought of a bodily resurrection in the next life, a bodily resurrection, is not something that would be attractive to people who embrace this philosophy. Uh, It's it's very understandable how the idea of the idea of the soul moving on to the next life is something that people would look forward to. um, But to be bodily raised from the dead, that's quite frankly not only hard to believe but disgusting, right? To somebody who believes that uh, spiritual is good, physical is evil. And they would believe the same thing about uh, Christ if they believed that a bodily resurrection from the dead would be an evil thing. Well, uh, in this text, Paul invites the church at Corinth to, uh, in a sense, kind of like the Mosaic, imagine. Imagine what some of the consequences, the ramifications would be if there really were no resurrection from the dead. Uh, He's not really uh, defending the resurrection. I mean, he will, kind of, but uh, that's done elsewhere. Rather, he's telling them to consider the ramifications of not believing in a bodily resurrection of uh, of the dead, in a bodily resurrection from the grave. He's saying, you know, you have to understand, if you don't believe this, here are the consequences. If you don't believe that this has happened, here are the consequences. And as we'll see, I hope, it's a really big deal. Telling them to consider the ramifications of not believing in a bodily resurrection, especially Christ, and asking them to imagine there's no resurrection. It's easy if you try. So what I would like to do for you is give you six reasons, six reasons from this text why the resurrection is a really big deal. And hopefully you'll see that as we work through these verses, hopefully you'll see why uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is on a completely different level, in a completely different category, in a completely different universe from the other miraculous works that Jesus performed during his earthly ministry. Uh, Number one, first of all, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we'd have no foundation for preaching the hope of the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is what? Empty. 
Maybe your Bible says futile. It's pointless. It's meaningless. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Now, while you're in 1 Corinthians 15, look back several verses to uh, verse 3. Verse 3. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Paul says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the gospel by which we're saved. And you'll notice it's a, it's a package deal. Verse 3, Christ died according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, Christ rose according to the Scriptures, the same Scriptures. Paul says we know this because it's written in the scriptures for both Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that means even though the scriptures say he did, they're wrong and can't be trusted. Well, if they can't be trusted there, then why can they be trusted about his atoning death or quite frankly anything else? It's all or none. It's domino theology. If one falls, they all fall. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we'd have no foundation for preaching the hope of the gospel, the hope of life after death, if Jesus, in fact, didn't rise from the dead. So the resurrection is a really big deal. Number two, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith would be meaningless. It's also in verse 14. If Christ is not risen, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we would lack uh, the substance of things hoped for, the, the, the very foundation of our faith. Because he would be like any other good person who lived and did amazing things and then died and was buried and had a grave that we could visit. And if we wanted to, we could open up the grave, take the stone away, remove the body, exhume the body and say, this is, this is Jesus, all decayed, just like any other person who had died. And then we would be saved by grace through facts, uh, through faith. It doesn't take much faith to visit a grave, exhume a body, and say, this is the body. This is the person. Ours, the gift that we've received from God, is a gift of faith. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith would be meaningless. We're putting our faith in in someone who's, quite frankly, just like anyone else. You say, well, he's not just like anyone else. I mean, he, he, he died on the cross, he was buried, he did a lot of miracles while he was alive. I know, but at the end of the day, dead is dead. And even though he lived a wonderful life and preached wonderful messages and did wonderful works which showed his compassion and his deity, if at the end of the day he remains in the grave, who gets the last laugh? Death. We say, oh, death, where's your sting, where's your victory? Death's response would be, uh, right here, right here. See the grave? This is where Jesus is buried. I'm, I win. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith would be meaningless. A dead Savior can't give life. And the good news of the gospel would not be good at all. There's no hope of the God. There's no hope in the gospel with, if we're putting all of our faith, all of our trust in a dead man. We look back upon his life and we say, oh, that's a life to be admired. And that's a life. We look, we'll have a memorial and we'll celebrate and the, all the good that he did. But quite frankly, he's in the same same grave rotting away just like any other do-gooder that ever walked the face of the earth. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith would be meaningless. Third, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all who witnessed the resurrection and preached the risen Christ would be outright liars. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 15. First Corinthians 15 and verse 15. 
says, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. Now, walk through this with me. If someone doesn't remember something, right, happens all the time, forgets something, it's not necessarily just because they've forgotten something, it's not necessarily sin. Uh, granted, it's because of a, we're fallen people and sin's effect on our minds and we can't remember all that we can, but to, to forget something in and of itself, I don't remember that, is not necessarily sin. They just don't remember. If someone hasn't seen something or someone, that's not ethically or biblically wrong, right? They just haven't, they just haven't seen it. If someone were to say, have you seen the risen Christ? And someone would say, no, you're a sinner. It's like, no, dude, I'm just answering the question. I've never believed in the risen Christ. Have you seen him? No, I've not seen him, but I believe in him. So to have not seen someone or something isn't wrong. They just haven't seen him. But think about it. People are proactively preaching, teaching, and spreading the good news of Christ's resurrection from the grave. And quite frankly, they can't help it. They watched the God-man die. They're like, wait, Jesus, whom I saw uh, be scourged, Jesus, whom I saw walk up the hill with a cross on his back, Jesus, whom I saw get nailed to a cross, Jesus, whom I heard scream at least seven things from the cross, from the, from the scriptures, Jesus, who I then watched die, Jesus, whom I watched blood and water spill out of his side when the Roman soldiers stabbed him, Jesus, whom I've watched them take off the cross. Jesus, whom they then laid in a tomb and sealed it. That guy's alive. They can't help but talk about it. They can't help but run into the highways and the byways and tell people that Jesus is alive. They're not waiting to be asked. They're running into the streets, talking to everyone about the fact that Jesus, whom they watched die, is no longer dead. They're taking it upon themselves to do this. That would make them outright liars. Does that, does that make sense? It's not like, oh, they just, you know, it, it's a passive thing. It's a very active thing, right? Proactively saying, he's alive. I've seen him. He's alive. The grave is empty. He's alive. I've seen him walk. He's alive. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, those who claim to have witnessed the risen Christ wouldn't just be in the wrong. They wouldn't have just forgotten. You know, it's not like it's just some passive thing. But willfully mistaken, right? Willfully mistaken since they preached something that would have never taken place. They would be intentionally, willfully spreading a lie. And we're not just talking about a few key people here. If you're... Look back at verse 5. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. It says, and, and that he was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve. And after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, meaning most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. An expression for saying some have, some have died. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me, Paul, me also as by one born out of due time. Imagine there's no resurrection. Imagine Christ is still dead. Paul's saying, well, then a lot of people really can't be trusted because a lot of people claim to see him over a period of 40 days, and a lot of people are lying for no good reason at all. 
right? Like if they were lying, we'd probably look and say, oh, well, people usually go out of their way to lie or to be deceitful because they've got some skin in the game, right? They'll go out of their way to lie so that they can have some sort of gain elsewhere. This did not add you to the popularity list. For you to be on the side of Christ and on the side of the one saying, the one whom, who people hated and condemned to death and killed, he is alive. That, did not, that was not a win, Right? That was not something that all of a sudden now, oh, there's clearly a reason why people would lie about this. Does, does, does that make sense? There'd be no reason to lie about this. Why would this many people, and it's not just like two or three people, you know, a couple of nut jobs on the side, kind of part of the flat earth society. It's like, oh, yeah, nice. It's that many people, 500 people at once. If Christ is not risen from the dead, all of them, would be, not just mistaken, not just in error, outright liars. But there's, there's more than these theological consequences that prove that the resurrection is, is, is a big deal. So not believing in the resurrection lists these. Uh, th- there's, there's a problem on this from a theological perspective, but sound theology or unsound theology always serves as a foundation for how we live and how we live our lives, Right? There's always something. So if the foundation is wrong, if there's a crack in the foundation, it's always going to affect what happens on top. And it's never a good idea to really put all of your faith in a faulty foundation. So there's more than just theological consequences to what happens if, if, the, if the resurrection isn't true. That proves that the resurrection is a big deal. Uh, for example, number four, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we would still be in our sins. That falls in the kind of a big deal category. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Now, this, this was helpful for me to read again as I, was, as I was preparing for this sermon. Because I think oftentimes we don't realize that if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, we would still be in our sins. Because we're so used to saying we know that you know, our sins have been paid for because Christ what? Died for our sins. So at first you think, well, if he didn't rise, he still died for our sins. So... I wouldn't be in my sins because the debt would have been paid. But that's not what Scripture says. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 15. Go back to Romans 4. See, there's another reference from Romans. We're still in the Romans series. Romans chapter 4. And look at verse 23. Romans 4, beginning in verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. Now look at this in verse 24. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who was what? Excuse me, in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Verse 25, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of what? Our justification. He was raised because of our justification. Verse 24 says, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who what? Raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. So it's imputed to us who believe in him who raised him up. So that's that's like a foundational reason of why we would believe in him and why that would be imputed to us. The righteousness would be imputed to us. Verse 25 says, he was raised because of our justification. Well, if he was raised, then we are justified. If he was not raised, then we are not, not justified. That's a big deal. If Jesus Christ remains in the grave, if he lived his perfect, amazing life and taught amazing Bible lessons such as nobody else ever did and performed miraculous works that showed his compassion and his deity, 
and then died and remained in the grave, we would still be in our sins. Our sins would not have been atoned for because death got the last laugh. And our hope of life beyond the grave exists only if Jesus lives beyond the grave. John 14, 19 and following says, A little while longer and the world will see me no more. This is Jesus talking. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Our hope, do we have hope beyond the grave? Absolutely. Why? Because he lives. Because he lives, we will live also. Verse 20, at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So that's a big day, right? Like at that day, here's what I'm going to know. I'm going to know that I, okay, I'm going to know that I'm going to live also. I will know that Jesus and the Father are one, that I have union with Christ, and he is in me. If that day doesn't take place, that's a big deal. A big deal. Because he lives, I will live. If he doesn't live, I will die. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we would still be in our sins. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, number five, all believers who have already died would perish eternally. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 18 says, Then those also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then everybody who ever had faith in the Lord, everybody who ever believed, past, present, future, would have perished. Because death got the last left. Death got the win. And number six, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christians would be the most pitiful people on the planet. And that's not just my opinion. That's from the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are of all men the most pitiable. I like how John MacArthur put this, so I put it in the outline. I like this quote here. To have hoped in Christ in this life only would be to teach, preach, suffer, sacrifice, and work entirely for nothing. If Christ is still dead, then he not only cannot help us in regard to the life to come, but he cannot help us now. If he cannot grant us eternal life, he cannot improve our earthly life. If he is not alive, where would be our source of peace, joy, or satisfaction now? The Christian life would be a mockery, a charade, a tragic joke. Think about how, if you're a Christian, if you love the Lord, if you're saved, if you've been born from above, think about how that affects your life. Think about how that affects decisions you make. Think about how that affects what you do, what you don't do, how you spend your money, how you spend your time. It affects, it affects everything. There should not be a portion of my life that I don't have uh, in my mind, I'm a Christian, therefore, poof, and then there's how I act in my life. I'm a Christian, and therefore, I ought to speak this way. I'm a Christian, I've been forgiven, therefore, I must also forgive. Uh, Jesus has died for me, therefore, I must do this. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Why? If we're all going to die and go to the grave anyway. Do, do, do you see that? What a pitiful bunch of fools we would be to be living our life for a dead man. Living our life in, in, in some way because there's a guy, Jesus Christ, who's a God, who, who is, is the God-man, but he's a dead God-man. Why should that affect my everything in life, my every thought, my every word, my every deed? 
Why is the resurrection such a big deal? Well, imagine there's no heaven. That's, that's really what it comes down to. The resurrection is a big deal because without it, we have a meaningless, empty, futile faith. Because without the resurrection, we're still in our sins, still stand guilty before God. And the countless believers who have gone before us are also still in their sins, guilty for, before God. Hebrews 11, which is the hall of faith, turns into the hall of fools. Because here we are, dying to self, sacrificing the pleasures of this world, when in reality, in reality, life ends at the grave. They're being sawn in two, and they're just going to stay in the grave. Why is the resurrection such a big deal? Well, imagine there's no heaven. It's, it's easy if you try. What about you this morning? What does all this mean for you? Well, just for a moment, let's, let's imagine. If you're, if you're not a believer which means you've not placed your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, then imagine there's no heaven. It's it's easy if you try. And the reason it's easy is because it's not an imagination. That's a reality for you. You must understand this. If, If you're trusting in something or someone other than Jesus Christ for salvation, if you insist on believing you can do it on your own, if you think clearly at the end of my life when God looks at me, my good will outweigh my bad, and there's clearly many, many people worse than me in this, in this life, if you think you can make yourself right with God because of your good works or your good name or your good looks or your good job or your exceptional success, if your faith is in that for salvation, then yes, imagine there's no heaven. See, if you refuse to believe the truth about you being a sinner, if you refuse to embrace and believe the good news of the gospel, I have no good news for you. Do you understand that? If you you refuse, if you refuse to believe the gospel, if you refuse to to believe the good news that Jesus Christ uh, died on the cross for sinners like you and like me, And that he was buried. And that he did in fact rise from the grave. You say, yeah, I'm not believing that. I'm done. I've got nothing else to... Well, okay. It's it's also warm outside. Like, I, I have nothing else to say to cheer you up. I have no other good news for you. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave does nothing for you if you don't believe in him and seek to repent of your sin. Imagine all the people living for today. Is that you? Are you counted among the people, the vast majority of people living for today? Eternity is not in view. Today is. And living for today without a view of eternity, not caring about being made right with our creator God through his son Jesus Christ, living for today won't help you on that day. Say, what day? The day that the writer of Hebrews tells us is appointed for us to die, and after that, the judgment. Living for today gets in the way of living for that day. There's no good news for the unbeliever, save for the fact that all of that can change today. All because of the gospel, all because of the goodness of Christ. 
You see, John Lennon is dead. You are not. You have the opportunity to believe in that which you have thus far not believed in. You have the opportunity to put your faith, to put your trust, to respond to the call of the gospel upon your life and put all your hope, all your faith and trust in the risen, not dead, risen Savior. You have the opportunity to turn away from your sin, place your trust in Christ, ask him to save you, ask him to have mercy on you, read his word, hear him, hear him speak to you through his word, his wonderful words of, of life, and have a relationship with him that you were created to have as opposed to standing before him guilty, hopeless, and helpless when it's too late. Imagine all the people living for today. Friends, you don't have to be counted in that number. The resurrection's a really big deal. And there is salvation to be found in the one and only advocate, our Savior, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who came for sinners like you and like me, died for sinners like you and like me, and rose again for sinners like you and like me. Turn away from your sin, be faithful to Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can be saved. And since Jesus did rise from the dead... Since Jesus did rise from the dead, we, right, the family of God, we, those who have been called out of our sin, out of darkness into his marvelous light, we who have faith in Jesus Christ, we above all people certainly have much to celebrate every day, but especially uh, next Sunday when we focus on the resurrection. Because he is risen, he is risen indeed. We don't, we don't need to identify ourselves with the fleeting pleasures, the shortcomings and the disappointments of this life because we look forward to sharing in the glory of Jesus Christ for eternal life. And that's why when life lets us down, which it does constantly, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a terrible fall in life. And I understand that at some points it's a wonderful life, but then there are other points where it's just a gut punch. We can survive, and it's not our all in all because he's our all in all. And we say, thank God that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I have a hope eternally in the heavens that after this life, whatever just happened, whatever I'm going through, it's not going to happen. And that's because we've trusted in Jesus Christ. And because he has victory over the grave, I can have victory over the grave. We don't need to identify ourselves with whatever. What's the biggest thing consuming you right now? What's the biggest trial consuming you right now? What's the biggest what if? What do you wake up thinking about? We have a God who calls us to put our trust in him and then says, you know what? These fleeting troubles that we, our whole life, which is just a vapor, they're all going to pass away. And because he lives, like the hymn writer says, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth the living just because he lives. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and following. It's later in the chapter. Uh, but now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first proof, the first example of those who have died in Christ. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. We can celebrate the resurrection because we can grab hold of the hope of the resurrection to endure the hardships of this life. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 30 and following. 
Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? That's what Paul says. Why would I do this? Every hour I'm standing in jeopardy. I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. I die daily. If in the matter of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage of it is to me? Like if I'm doing all these things and I don't have a risen Savior, what fat lot of good that's going to do? What advantage of it is to me? If the dead do not rise, quite frankly, says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Live it up, because it's going to end and we have no hope beyond the grave. And finally, because he lives, we can grab hold of the, res- grab hold of the hope of the resurrection as power to say no to sin. We don't have to, we're not in bondage to our sin. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 33 and following. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. And Paul says that because of the hope he has in the gospel. Because of the hope he has in the risen Christ. That's what he's discussed so many verses prior. Because we have that hope. Because we don't serve it. We're not worshiping a dead guy. Because we're not just looking back on a life once lived. That we just look back and try to imitate like other do-gooders. Because he lives, we actually have the ability to sin less. We have the ability to grow. We have the ability to change. We have the ability to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Because he's alive. I don't want to be conformed to the image of a dead guy. It's really weird. The resurrection is a big deal. And it's a big deal for us who love the Lord Jesus Christ because of the hope that it gives us, because of the foundation of faith that it lays for us in his excellent word as we look back upon our risen Savior, look back on the fact that he rose, and just look, look to our risen Savior now and know that because he lives, I too will live. And we celebrate that each and every day of our earthly life, knowing that this world is not our home And we have a home in the heavens, not a tent, not a motel, a home in the heavens with Jesus Christ who lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Father in heaven, we look back upon the truths that we covered today, Lord, and we come to you saying thank you. Lord, we love our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and we know that we love him because you first loved us. And Lord, it's my prayer that as we celebrate the resurrected Christ, as we, as we look forward to celebrating that each and every day, but especially, especially on Resurrection Day as we celebrate Easter together, Lord, would these truths, Lord, the, the ramifications of what would happen if this wasn't true, Lord, would that fuel our appreciation for, our gratitude, and our love for the resurrected Savior? And Lord, I pray also for those uh, uh, in here who are hearing this message who know you not, uh, Lord, who benefit not from the resurrected Christ because they are not one with Christ. Oh, God, would you do a work in their hearts, Lord? Would you convict them of their sin? Would you give them the gift of eternal life? Would you regenerate them, Lord? Would you give them life, Lord? Even as Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Lord, would you call their name from heaven and call them to come forth? Draw them to yourself. Let them be sensitive to the calling that you've placed on on their life, Lord. May they not kick against the goads and may they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen.